sense is a lot of times we don't know one another, although we are one church, right? And so I thought I'd just tell you a little bit about who we are. Like I said, I'm married to Marvin. He's here with me. Actually, at the end of this month, we will be married almost, or we will, right now we're married almost 29 years. So on May 30th, it'll be 29. So that's a long time to do life with one. Yeah, I think so too. So you can say happy anniversary if you'd like. You know, that's a long time to do life with someone, but I'm really glad to get to do it with him. He's such an amazing, amazing man. And we have two kids. We have a daughter who's 24 named Mackenzie, and she actually works here in the Williamsburg area. And then our son Sam is a sophomore at Liberty University in Lynchburg, and uh, he's finishing up his exams in the next few days, and we'll be home for the summer. So we're, we're really looking forward uh, to that. Marvin and I both work in a parachurch mission organization called Established Footsteps Ministry, and that's a mission that City Life actually supports. And we're so glad to be a part of City Life as a couple, but then also to have City Life embrace uh, what God has us doing. If you ever want to check out a little bit about Established Footsteps, you can see that at establishedfootsteps.com. But really, uh, God has us doing all kinds of things, but really everything that we do, we do with the intent of coming alongside people and encouraging them to establish their daily life steps in the truths of, of God's Word. Because how many of us know that God's Word has a word for us about every step that we take in this life, right? It does. And you know, this weekend is Mother's Day, so I know there's a lot of moms here tonight, so happy Mother's Day. And you know, God's Word speaks to us as moms, to the steps that we take through motherhood. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. It speaks to our steps as dads too, but it's Mother's Day weekend, so we're going to talk to the moms. And if you're a dad, I hope that you'll be encouraged you get to listen in, all right? Um, motherhood has been an interesting journey for me, but, you know, it really is for everybody because you don't have any idea what you're getting yourself into until that first night when they wake you up in the middle of the night. You're like, what have I done? You know, and then on and on it goes um, from there. But I personally spent quite a few years longing to be a mother before I ever really got to be one. Uh, Marvin and I got married, we were very young. I was 21, he was 22. We decided pretty quickly, you know, we wanna start a family, but month after month went by and uh, we were not pregnant. And infertility became a part of our story and we really never had thought it would be. Um, it was a very painful journey and um, a big part of, you know, how, how we came to actually having a family and seeing um, God's goodness. And, and I just want to say this as we even get started into this word tonight. Uh, if you're here tonight and you're longing to be a mom, and uh, maybe you're not even here tonight, but maybe you're listening later, you know, on a podcast as we put these out, you know, you probably feel on Mother's Day weekend, and I know this because this happened to me so many times, you probably feel like God has forgotten you. But he hasn't forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. And we need to know that and we need to embrace that and we need to lean into the goodness of the Lord even in those times of pain and let him write the stories in our lives that he wants to write because he is a good God. His goodness is so rich to us, even like we sang about uh, just a minute ago. You know, in our story, even though there was a lot of pain, God did really display his goodness to us and he's still doing that and I've I've come to see that his goodness reaches way past our understanding right it really really it does and God gave us both of our kids through adoption each of them have amazing stories of how they came into our family and uh, we're just so grateful I'm so grateful that I get to be uh, their mom for our daughter Mackenzie it was actually uh, Thanksgiving weekend of 1990 and we had traveled to be with family out of town for the weekend and while we were there uh, once again I found out I wasn't pregnant and we were heartbroken my sister-in-law whose home we were at she had just found out she was pregnant so if you can just kind of imagine those dynamics it was a hard weekend and when we left on that Saturday to travel back to Atlanta where we lived at the time uh, we were driving actually through a through a rainstorm it was just a dreary day and that's really how we felt in our hearts but when we got on the other side of that storm there was this rainbow in the sky that like took your breath away and in that moment, Marvin and I both looked at each other and we had both sensed that God was speaking a promise to us that by the next Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving of 1991, we would have a baby. 
We had to hold on to that promise as the year, uh, you know, took its journey because that year was so hard. I went through several um, more procedures. I had another surgery. There wasn't a baby in sight come the end of summer. And we're thinking, God, you know, but we knew he had given us that promise. But God is faithful, isn't he? God's faithful. His goodness is always there for us. And when he speaks and when he says he's going to do something, he does it. He comes through. On November the 10th, that same year, our daughter was born. Two days later, she was put into our arms and we got to take her home. And two weeks after that, on Thanksgiving Day, back at that same house in Charlotte, our family had a baby shower for us. I mean, God is so faithful. And I know that our daughter was meant to be in our family because God is so good. That's a picture of us, yeah, <laughs> when we brought her home that day. Yeah, who are they? Who's that guy with hair and... Well, all of that, so I don't know. But that was us many years ago, many, many moons ago. Our son Sam has a really unique story too. This is a picture of us with him uh, actually flying home from Seattle to Atlanta. He was four days old on July 4th of 1996. And, and I'm not going to go into all the details of his story tonight. I'll save it for another day. But God did just an amazing thing in giving us that boy. But, you know, life is a series of stories, isn't it? It's a series of stories, and tonight, I believe God wants to take us all the way back to the very first story of a family and speak to us as moms about what I call now redemptive mothering. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open it up to Genesis chapter 1, right in the very beginning. And you know, Genesis 1 describes how it all began, describes how God created the world, and we find in verse 27 that God created all of humanity in his image. That's what it tells us. And then Genesis 2 goes into telling us how he did it and who he created first. And we find in verse 7 here that God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. And then we move on to verse 18 and we see God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good. Now, everything else he had said it was good, right? But he looked at Adam and he said, it's not good. But it wasn't just that it wasn't good, it was that it was not good for him to be alone. Because how many of you know most men need a woman, right? They need a woman, right? They really do. And uh, so he created a woman, verse 21 tells us, God put Adam into a deep sleep. He used one of his ribs to create her, to create Eve. And then, I mean, he pronounces union over them. It's like he marries them right then. And I just want to ask you men, you know, can you imagine what that would be like? I mean, you take a nap and you wake up and the girl of your dreams is like right in front of your face and God's saying, I pronounce you man and wife, you know? I mean, what would that be like? And for Eve, she's like, oh, wow, I'm getting married and there's no other choice but him. So she knows she found the right one, right? She found the right one because God gave him to her. So it appears, if you sit in that story for a while, you just start to think about some of these kinds of things, you know, but it appears that God created them at the physical maturity of, of a young adult, which means as well that Adam and Eve, they had never had any parents, Never, you know, uh, gone through the craziness of puberty, didn't have to deal with any of that. They, they didn't have any emotional baggage, you know, couldn't point to anything. You know, if this hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't be this way. Um, even think about this. They never had in-laws. Never had to deal with that. They really didn't. So, so they came into the world. I mean, it couldn't have gotten any more perfect than what it, what it was there for them. I mean, God picked them, made them for each other, all those dynamics but they still did something so very foolish, didn't they? So, so foolish. Genesis 3, 6 tells us that Adam and Eve specifically disobeyed God and they ate from the tree that he specifically told them not to eat from. And that's the moment that sin entered the world. And their sin that happened in their story affects all of our stories now with death. Because sin brings death. The Bible tells us that very clearly. The death of our spirits. Immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a death, right? The death of the Spirit of God within them because he would no longer dwell in 
man in their spirit any longer. The death of our souls. You know what our soul is, right? It's your mind, the way you think. It's your will. It's your emotion. And so there's this process now that started for a death in the soul because now that the Spirit of God didn't live in man any longer, then we're going to start living life out of our own self-led ways and think the way we want to think and feel the way we want to feel and make the choices that we want to make without the influence of the Spirit of God. And then, of course, we know about the death of our bodies, right? We tend to think, oh, that's what it is, the death of our bodies. But we need to understand this sin choice that they made affects us with death in every single way. Now, you might be wondering, this is not a very upbeat Mother's Day message, right? Why is she talking about death and sin on, on Mother's Day? Well, what we need to understand is that their choice has so much effect on us as mothers. See, after Adam and Eve sinned, God begins to talk to them about the realities of what life is going to be like now that sin has entered the world. And for our time together tonight in God's Word, we're going to zoom in on one thing that He said to, to mothers. You know, City Life has been in a series called Good News. But what God has to say in the aftermath of, of this sin choice is actually really, really bad noise, bad news. Now, we're going to get to some good news in, in a few moments, but um, hang on for that because we definitely want to say Happy Mother's Day with the good news. But first, we're going to look at the bad news. So if you want to look over in Genesis 3, just, just a little bit further than where we began, um, we're going to look at verse 16, the first part. And this is God speaking to Eve. And he says, it says, to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, this is the first part of the consequences that God, he speaks to Eve. There's more. And I know that most of us have heard this before, and we definitely equate it with the physical pain that you have to go through uh, to birth a child into the world. I actually got to be in the delivery room with my son Sam when he was born, and I'm so thankful for those moments and all that you know, I got to be a part of there. But I can tell you as a witness, even though it was wonderful for me, I got to see firsthand the, the physical pain that his birth mom went through. So I know that. I know that a lot of you sitting out there tonight, you don't need somebody else to be a witness. You can be your own witness because you know exactly about that pain. Now see, for me, because I didn't physically birth my children for years, I read this that God said to Eve, and I thought I kind of sidestepped that consequence because I didn't birth my children. But the deeper I looked into this, and as God began to speak to me, as I began to bring forth my children in this world, I began to see that this consequence is definitely connected to my story as well. It's connected to all of our stories. Quite a few years ago, I heard a Jewish rabbi speaking, and he was talking about this, this very verse. And he was saying that in the Jewish tradition, they understand that, yes, that definitely means that, that women are going to have physical pain when they bring forth children. But he said they also understand a much deeper implication, and it's this. It was like God was saying to Eve, Eve, now that sin is in the world, there's going to be so much pain for you in bringing forth your child. In other words, bringing forth this little teeny baby into adulthood and into all that God had planned for them, you're going to have so much pain. That's what God was really speaking to her. And see, mothers, we have a front row seat to watching sin affect our kids' lives. And it wrecks our hearts, doesn't it? If you've ever experienced sin in your kids' lives, and I know that you have, it wrecks your heart. And the reason it wrecks our hearts is because God put this nurturing thing in us that is so strong, so strong. And we long to see our children thrive. As I pondered this, I began to see I had not sidestepped this consequence at all. It was definitely a part of, of my life and my family and my mothering. Sin affects our children, and we can't do anything to stop it. Now, we want to, and we'll try to, and, and we'll fight with everything we have, 
We know that, that, that phrase that people say, oh, she's like a mama bear, you know, just watch that mama. Even there was a scripture up there tonight in that video. Did you see it? And Hosea, I had never seen that before. And here I'm going to be talking about a mama bear tonight. I love it when the Holy Spirit does that. But it said, like a mama bear robbed of her cub, that's how God will take care of us. But see, we try to be that ourselves. This mama bear, we're going to rise up. And, and if somebody tries to hurt our child, we're like, not my child. You're not touching my child. We're not going to let somebody else's sin have an influence on our child. And we try to jump in there and stop it. But the problem is we cannot protect our kids from sinful people because they're all over the place. And even if you lock them in a cabinet somewhere, guess what? You're the sinful person, right? We're sinners too. And sometimes as moms, it's our sin that affects our kids a lot. A lot. I know that's been the case in, in my life, you know. I told you this is bad news, right? I warned you. It's not, it's not done yet. Hang with me, all right? So that mama bear rises up in us because we don't want anybody else's sin to affect our kids. But it also rises up in us when we see sin in their own life, right? When they start to do something that's sinful, we're like, oh, my precious child, they're sinning. And we're like, not my child. You're not acting like that. I'm going to do this to you or whatever, Okay. But see, they do act like that. And you know why they act like that? Because they're sinners. When my son Sam was a little guy, he's a really big guy now. He's like 6'4", wears a size 17 shoe. But when he was a little guy, all right, he was little, but he was big trouble. I mean, he was big trouble. He, he, I, I love that boy to pieces, but oh my goodness. He made me cry almost every day when he was a toddler because he was so strong-willed. Here's a picture of him too. That, I love that picture. I've always loved it because it shows the mischief in his eyes and that's kind of the way he was. It was like he'd just get a piece of cake. It's like, I'm going to eat it if I want. Try to tell me not to, you know? I mean, that's just kind of the way that he was. He had a will of iron and he would fight you to the end. Now, our daughter, when she was little, she had a really easygoing temperament. And so I kind of thought, okay, well, that just means I'm a really good mom. You know, I didn't think it was just her temperament. I just thought it was me. So other kids would throw fits, and I would think, you need to get it together. And I wouldn't say it, but <laughs> tell me you haven't done the same thing. I know that you have, all right? But see, then came our son, and the Lord began to teach me a lot. See, a lot of times we want to look at our kids, and we want to think that they're innocent. And, and in many ways they are, but that's probably just because they haven't had as many minutes on the planet for their sin to express themselves yet, you know? Just give them time, and it, it's going to show up. Because the Bible tells us that our children are brought forth in iniquity. And that's because of that choice that Adam and Eve made. That's why we started there. My nephew-in-law is a pastor, and he's a theology professor, and he has a son who's four years old. And when he was born, he would call him a viper in a diaper. And we would laugh at that, and it, it kind of sounds bad, but what he, would, I mean, he adored his son. He still does. But he was just kind of making a silly point that kids are sinners. Babies, even as precious as they are, they're sinners. And nobody has to teach a child to sin. They do it naturally. Just give it time, and it shows up in every single child. As moms, we like to think, not my child. You're not going to act like that. And so if we see them sinning, a lot of times we try to hide it, or we try to spank it, or we try to time out it, or do something to it because we're going to fix it in our child. And you definitely need to discipline. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm all for discipline. But we can never make our children perfect, can we? I'll never forget a moment when our son Sam was probably two, maybe three years old, and we were outside playing. It was a chilly day, and he had a runny nose. Now, I was one of those moms when my kids were little, I cannot stand runny noses on kids. And my kids knew that. So I'm always with a, with a Q-tip or a tissue or something, you know, and they would be like running from me, especially if I had the Q-tip. But I just don't like snotty noses on kids. Well, he had a runny nose that day, and I just wanted to wipe his nose. So I pulled the tissue out of my pocket. I'm going to wipe his nose. He saw me coming, and he takes off. And so he's dodging me and running away from me and jumping and running down the slide because he did not want me to wipe his nose. Well, it was almost nap time anyway, so I finally just scooped the boy up and like, we're going in the house, going to wipe your nose and put you down for a nap. Well, you know, he didn't want any part of that. And so he starts flailing his arms and kicking and screaming and all of that. By the time we got in the house, and 
I hope you don't judge me, all right? But we basically ended up on the kitchen floor like in a wrestling match because I'm going to win and I'm going to wipe the boy's nose. Finally, I like had him in like a body lock, like I had my leg over him and this way I'm holding and I'm going in to wipe his nose and he looks up at me with fire in his eyes and he spits in my face. I was devastated. I got him to bed without harming him, and he was exhausted, that's why, because of all of that that had gone on. And I remember coming downstairs and sitting in the chair and sobbing and saying, God, why can't I make this child obey me? He spit in my face, God. Can you believe that? And the Holy Spirit broke through in that moment, and this is what he said to me. He said, Sharon, I am the perfect parent, and all of my children rebel. Millions of them have spit in my face. If I'm God and I can't make them obey, why do you think that you should be able to? And I believe that that was the first conversation that the Lord really had with me. He had probably been trying before, but that was the first time that I really started listening when he started talking to me about redemptive mothering. And it all goes back to what happened in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. See, inside our hearts is this nurturing thing inside of us that God put there so we would care for our children well. It's a God thing. I mean, they need nurturing, right? They come into the world and they're these teeny little helpless babies. They need protection. They need guidance. They need care. They need a mother and a father to bring them forth. But sin changed God's whole plan of bringing them forth. This bad news from God to Eve and to all of us as mothers is that sin is going to bring much pain into your life as you bring these children forth. And while we laugh a little bit about, you know, stories of wrestling on the kitchen floor and, you know, wiping snotty noses, we all know that there's a lot bigger battles that you have to wrestle through with your children than just a snotty nose. It's bad news. It's bad news. There's no doubt about it. But it's also truth. It's also truth. And I believe it's the foundation from which God wants to shape our mothering. Because if we don't understand that, he can't take us into the redemptive mothering that he really wants us to experience. See, so often we don't understand that truth or we don't know it, or we neglect it, or just kind of um, put it away somewhere else, because we don't like to think about our kids being sinners. And, and, and so we don't really put that truth front and center, and then we've got this nurturing thing inside of us that rises up and starts to be this mama fighting bear, but the problem is we're fighting in the wrong ways. And we fight for the wrong things and with the wrong motives, and it really just brings a whole bunch more pain into the process. I've had so many conversations with the Lord over the years since that wrestling match about redemptive mothering. Now, I didn't call it redemptive mothering for a long, long time. For the longest time, it was just me being flat on my face saying, God, help me. I don't know what to do in these moments, you know, as you move through the mothering journey. And, and on my own, a lot of times, you know, I'd try things. I mean, I'd research things or read a book or try this mo mode or, you know, uh, method or whatever. And, and sometimes it would work and it would work well and it would work for the moment. But the root of the problem was still there. And it was in me and it was in my kids and it was in all the people around us and it's sin. So even if I dealt with it one way, it would just show up in another way if the good news wasn't applied to it. See, when I would cry out to the Lord, basically saying, God, help me do this. It's so hard. And I know, any mother's ever done that? Like, just been on your face like, God, I don't know how to do this. When I would do he would always take me back to the good news. And that's what we need as moms. Because sin has corrupted, and it is corrupting the destiny that God created our children for. And as moms, we have a front row seat to watching it happen, don't we? And that's what God was telling Eve. Eve had a front row seat. Think about what happened in her family with her kids. One of them killed the other because of the sin in his heart and his rebellion toward God. Talk about your pain being multiplied. 
in this life. You know, I know in this room there are a lot of moms tonight. And we're all in different stages of the mothering journey. I'm sure there are literally hundreds of stories that you could tell, some that would make us laugh and some that would make us weep, right? Because our kids capture our hearts, but they also take our hearts through a wreckage of sin as we suffer and see what sin does to our kids, whether it's the sin of somebody else or the sin in their own life. Usually it's both. For some of us, that story is harder than others. Even maybe tonight, we're sitting in the midst of some really hard stuff with one of our kids. And even though it's Mother's Day and everything should be like, oh, happy Mother's Day, it's not. That's not what it is for us this year. You know, as moms, we might be in different places, but there's still one truth that we're all faced with that is the same from Genesis 3. Every child, including us, because we're a child too, right, is in need of the good news of Jesus. See, there's only one child that was ever born on this planet who wasn't in need of the good news. He wasn't in need of the good news because he was not a son of Adam. He was the son of God. He was born of a virgin, and his name is Jesus. So I want us to go back to Genesis chapter 3 because God is so good. In the midst of all the bad news and the wreckage after that sin choice that they made, God spoke some really good news there as well. Now when he speaks it, it sounds like bad news. He spoke it to the serpent who was Satan, who was the one who had tempted Eve to do this in the first place, the enemy of our souls, her soul, our souls too. And to him, it's very bad news. But if we'll look into it a little closer, we'll see that for us, it's good news. See, in verse 15, God is speaking to the serpent, and he lets him know right away that he has not won. Read it with me in verse 15, just line by line. We're going to go through it. It says, I will put enmity, God's speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. See, enmity is hatred, and God is saying to the serpent, there is going to be hatred between the woman and between you. Now, I like to use this as a biblical reason for why I hate snakes, because I hate them, all right? But there's more, and I think it's a very biblical thing to do, and I think that all women should hate snakes, but there's a lot more to it than this. This is really about the ongoing battle of sin and righteousness. Because there is a desire built within us as we are made in the image of God, and we read that earlier tonight, that we would desire the goodness and the good things of God. And so there's going to be this ongoing tension between Satan's Lord to us as we go through this life and our ability to actually know God's blessing. There's going to be this hatred, this battle going on. And this battle would affect our children too, because it says, and between your offspring and hers. In other words, all who are going to come from Eve would be fighting this battle. But then God says it a little differently. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your um, offspring and hers. And then the tense changes because offspring is plural. But then he says, he, he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Some versions say strike his heel. Now, who is he? He here is Jesus. God is beginning to speak about Jesus after the very first sin. See, God already knew this choice was going to be made. Before the foundation of the world, the Bible tells us, he already had the plan of salvation in place. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. He's the first offspring of woman. And Jesus would crush the head of Satan. That's what God is saying here. Actually, in Romans 16, 19, we're told the God of peace will crush Satan's head. And so that's exactly what happens. And then it says, and you will bruise his heel, meaning speaking to the Satan, to Satan, you're, you're going you're gonna to bruise his heel. Now, in a crucifixion, the, the heel actually does bruise. But really, I think this is about, oh, you might stop him from walking around for a little while. Like he'll be in a grave for three days. But he's going to come out of that, and he's going to crush your head. You have not won, Satan. This battle has started, but I'm letting you know now you will lose. Because he will rise again, and he will walk 
in victory. And see, that's the good news, church. And we have got to know that good news for ourselves and for our kids. See, Jesus actually overcame death, the death that goes all the way back to the first sin. And every person has the opportunity to overcome that death as well. And that doesn't just mean physical death so that you can go to heaven. That's why city life says heaven now, heaven forever, right? Because the spirit of God comes alive in our hearts when we, like Jim said earlier, take that first spiritual breath and say, I want what you offer me, Jesus. And that begins now in my life. And then from there, then he begins to call us to walk into pathways of redemption. So the blessing and love in his heart that he wants to pour out on us, he can do that even in this life. And he begins to work that redemption into our soul and even into our bodies as well. Sin destroys life, but the gospel can make it new. Now the bad news is that our children are sinners and as mothers we cannot stop that. But the good news is that Jesus can. By accepting Jesus, our children can take their first spiritual breath and begin to walk on those same pathways of redemption where instead of multiplied pain, there's going to be multiplied joy, right? Instead of multiplied disappointment, there's going to be multiplied satisfaction. Instead of death, there's going to be a fullness of life. There's a passage that is so special to me as a mom, it's in Psalm 144. Uh, if you want to turn there with me, I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but God showed it to me early on when my kids were younger and I started this journey of redemptive mothering. And, and, and it gave me a vision for what was really in their heart, uh, in God's heart for my kids. Now, a part of this chapter is really um, God, or uh, David who wrote it, dreaming and praying about what life would be like when God blessed his people with salvation. Because we know that when David was king, salvation had not yet come, right? Jesus had not come yet. So verse 12, as he's praying and dreaming about what life and blessing could be like if salvation were here, he specifically speaks to what life would be like for the children. And this is what it says. Let our sons and their youth be as well-nurtured plants and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned as for a palace. Now, I personally think that this prayer is the desire of David for his children, but that it also gives prophetic voice to what was in the heart of Jesus for children when salvation comes. And it's the exact opposite of what was spoken in Genesis 3. See, Genesis 3 described how the corruption of sin was going to undo children's lives and God's destiny for them. And this gives a prophetic picture of how the blessing of God can actually cause everything to go the opposite direction and how it can cause our children to thrive way beyond what anyone would expect they could. For sons, what does it say? It says, let our sons in their youth be as well-nurtured plants. In other words, even when they're little, that they would be... Uh, that they would be young, but they would be strong, that they would be vibrant, that they would be healthy and mature beyond their years, that they would be wise. For our daughters, it says, let them be as corner pillars fashioned like a palace. What does that mean? That our daughters would be unique, that they would be special, that they would be beautiful, that they would be a support system. A, a pillar is a support system that holds things up, and they would do it in the palace. In other words, they would have influence, great influence, like in the lives of, of kings. See, I believe that David was expressing the heart of God for his children. This is what he desired for his sons and his daughters, not multiplied pain that got brought into this experience of, of, of children growing up in this world. No, he wanted multiplied blessing that poured out his goodness in our lives. David's prayer in this psalm actually uh, describes more blessings. That was the verse just for the children. But when you get to the end of the psalm, listen to what it says in verse 15. It says, how blessed are the people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. I love those words, so situated. So situated. See, we live now in the midst of salvation. David didn't. But we do. We're situated in a time where we can receive salvation. 
And if I will choose as a woman of God and as a mother to my children to so situate myself in the midst of his redemption, then God can begin to use me as an agent in their lives to bring about the redemption and this kind of stuff from Psalm 144 into their lives. It's so important, so important that we know what our role as mothers is in God's redemptive plan. But sometimes we lose sight of it, don't we? Sometimes we lose sight of it as things happen and, and that, that pain gets played out before our lives. About four years ago, personally as a mom, I was really starting to lose sight of it because I had a front row seat to watching some of the wreckage in one of my kids and Satan was just like waving his victory flag all over the whole thing. He was calling me a failure and I was believing him. He was telling me it's over. And I was believing him. Even with everything that God had taught me over the years, I was beginning to lose sight of this truth. And in that season, God used a blog that I read to just speak so profoundly to me. And it continues to speak to me even to this day. But he basically let me know that when he picked me as my kid's mother, that he knew what was coming in their lives. He placed them in my arms and called me their mother. He knew the things that would come. He's an all-knowing God, but he still picked me, even with the struggles that I had. So instead of looking at these struggles and automatically defining myself as a failure, I needed to look at the assignment that God had placed on my life when he called me to be the mother of my children. Now, yes, there are areas where I could have done a better job. But God reminded me he's also my redeemer as well. The bottom line is this. Based on the good news of Jesus Christ, I have a holy assignment from God as the mother of my children. So I need to pray for my kids with all diligence. I need to love them with the grace and love of Jesus. I need to be visioning for what God has for their lives even when they can't see it. I need to be speaking life into that vision no matter what is going on. So the next time Satan comes and he starts calling me a failure, I need to situate myself in the redemption of God and I need to look right back at him and say, you picked the wrong mama this time. The last time I looked, God gave me a holy assignment. And the last time I looked at you, he crushed your head on the cross. So take your condemnation and get out of my family. See, that needs to be, that needs to be the way I situate myself as a mother in redemptive mothering. Redemptive mothering happens when I situate myself first in the redemption that God brings and working in my life. And then I use this huge nurturing heart that he has given me to extend it to my kids, to offer it to my kids with all grace and truth, just like it was offered to me. So I want to talk for just a few minutes about what that looks like. What does it look like in our lives? What does redemptive mothering look like in the day-to-day -day life? Because we can talk about it in church, but what does it look like in your home? What does it look like in your heart? What does it look like in your prayer life? You know, as a mom, I can situate myself in the world and I can react to all the sin wreckage going on around me. Or I can situate myself in the redemption of God and respond in that direction. And it makes all the difference. You know, there's a lot that could be said about all of these things, a lot of it. I, I've been talking to the Lord for years about redemptive mothering, and, and he's still teaching me many things. So certainly tonight we're not going to cover it all, but I do want to share just a handful of things that I, I think describe the mother who is situated in redemption. First of all, she views her children through the eyes of truth. Your children are sinners, and you are a sinner as well. Left to ourselves, we all have a bent towards sin, and we just need to own that It'll take that pressure for perfection off of the table right at the get-go. And it will point you to the gospel every single day. But here's the thing. Because we are sinners, that's not the way we view ourselves naturally. And so God needs to renew our minds. Usually the way we view ourselves is through pride. And we'll compare ourselves to other people and go, well, I'm not as bad as they are. So, you know, and that's what we do. So we've got to have a renewed mind. Well, how do you get a renewed mind? 
only by the word of God. So a redemptive mother situated in redemption has to be in the word of God every single day because the word of God will clean your mind out so that you can see yourself, you can see other people, you can see your children, you can see the vision God has for them all through his eyes. In Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to the people and he says to us today, the lamp of the body is the eye. And he said, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If we want to shine out the light of Jesus in our kids' lives, our eyes have got to be clear. And the only way they'll be clear is by letting the Word of God wash them. We have to be in the Word of God if we want to situate ourselves in the redemption that He has. Number two, she walks on redemptive pathways and she invites her kids to come along. See, we're sinners in need of the good news. And as mothers, if we're walking in the pathways of redemption, it's only, the only reason we're ahead of our kids is because we've had longer. You know, we, We've been doing it longer. So what we do is we get on those pathways, we walk in Jesus' commands, we live in his commands, and we invite our kids to come with us. Galatians 5 talks to us about keeping in step with the Spirit, right? And so we keep in step with Him, and we invite our kids to come too. Number three, she points her children to Jesus as their Savior. You know, this can play out in so many ways. When we're reacting as moms, it's so easy to get into that, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to manipulate it, I'm going to work this out, I'm going to fight it, I'm going to do all of that. But what we have to understand is we can't. Jesus can. He's the answer. We are not our kids' savior. Jesus is their savior. Hebrews 5 tells us that Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. And most of us as moms want to see our kids accept Jesus so that we know they have eternity secured for them and go to heaven. And that's awesome and beautiful and that's salvation. But what we have to understand is Jesus is the source of salvation and every single part of our whole being needs to be saved. Every part of me needs an answer and that answer is in Christ. And so as an ambassador of Christ, I'm an ambassador of his as I situate myself in the lives of my children as their mother, you know, being an agent of his redemption, an ambassador of that. When I know that Jesus is my savior and I'm looking to him for the answer for everything, then I begin to point him, my kids to him as the answer for everything. I point him, I point my kids to his character. I point my kids to his love. I point my kids to his example, to his salvation, to his joy, to his forgiveness, to his grace. When there's a question on the table for my kids, I say, let's look at Jesus. I point to him instead of trying to take care of the situation myself. Number four, she builds her children's identity in Christ for eternal things. Not in their education, not in their sports skills or grades or friend group or hobby or interest or all of that. See, as moms, a lot of times we, we think it's our job to establish our kids a place in this world. Because we want our kids to be somebody, right? We want them to have a significance here. And, and there's nothing wrong with that in a sense. But we have to look at what we're really trying to establish. Do you remember uh, the mother of, of um, two of the disciples came to Jesus? And what was she trying to do? She wanted to give one of them a place on his right hand and one a place on his left. <laughs> she was trying to make them away and manipulate it. Even Jesus' mother at the wedding in Cana. She, she, he was like, it's not my time yet. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to let you show off here. Right? And that's what we tend to do as mothers. We're trying so hard to establish our kids. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But here's the difference between a mom who's just reacting and trying to make a way for their kids like a mama bear to one who is situated in redemption. The one who's situated in redemption recognizes temporal things for temporal things and eternal things for eternal things. And there is a difference. And you've got to be able to discern it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you do that when you're situated in places of redemption because the Lord begins to give you that vision. And so you put a lot of effort into building your kids up as to who they are in Christ, their identity in Him. Now you might say, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, what do we do when we don't know how to do other things that our kids need? We find out. 
We research it. We ask people. And so I would say if you don't know how to build your kid's identity in Christ, then figure it out. You know, I, that's a whole message for another day. But there's a lot that could be shared, I'm sure, with the leadership here or, or friends who know Christ. There's so much information out there about doing that. Number five. Let's keep going quickly. She fights the real battle in prayer. She fights the real battle in prayer. The real battle for our kids' lives is not against flesh and blood. And the Lord has had to remind me of this over and over. As a mom, I'm not fighting evil people. I'm not fighting with my child who doesn't want to write his spelling words tonight or come home at the curfew that I told her she had to be. See, the real battle is for the heart of my child. That my heart, that my child's heart would not settle to live in the midst of sin. That's the real battle. The real battle is that my heart's child would awaken to the love of God. The real battle is that my heart, my child's heart would love God, would love his word and seek him fully. Now the other things are issues and they are things that we have to deal with. You can't just go, oh well, don't write your spelling words then, you know, or show up whenever you want. They're issues but they're not the real battle. The real battle is for the heart of your child. And the only way that that battle is ever won is through prayer. But here's what happens to so many of us as moms. We get so caught up in the issues that we don't have time for the real battle. And we fight the issues, but we don't have time for the real battle. A mother who is situated in a place of redemption makes time for fervent, deep, specific prayers for her children on a consistent basis because that's what the real battle is. Number six, she guides her children with grace and truth. Redemptive mothering is not beating your kids over the head with a Bible. John 1.17 tells us that Jesus came to us with this divine mixture of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's how Jesus relates to us, right? And that grace and truth works something in our lives. It's what sets us free from sin. It's what makes the word of God just do things on the inside of us that we're like, how did he know that? How did he say that? And we've experienced that. And so we seek the Lord as a redemptive mom, and we say, how can I serve this mixture of grace and truth up into my kids' lives? And the Lord is so creative, he'll show us incredible ways to do that. The Lord has given me all kinds of ways over the years. And sometimes I don't know if they're working, but I know that the word of God works. And so if I'm moving in his spirit and doing that, I can know in my heart that it is working. Number seven, she stays encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It's the last one. Let's not be naive. Just because our kids accept Jesus does not mean that everything's going to just be joy and roses down the way, all right? They still have to learn to walk on redemptive pathways. Just like I had to learn, just like you had to learn, just like every sinner has to learn. Because most of us don't learn quickly, they probably won't either. And so there can still be a lot of pain in bringing forth your children like God spoke to Eve in Genesis chapter 3. And see, a lot of times what we want to do, I know this was my story, I wanted to just package everything up that the Lord had told me and just hand it over and say, you don't have to go through any of that, just do this. But you can't do that because they've got to learn to walk it themselves. And as mothers, because we have a front row seat to that and we've got this nurturing heart inside of us, there can be a lot of discouragement that comes our way. But a mother who is situated in redemption and is mothering from that place gets her encouragement from the Holy Spirit. The Word of God tells us in John 14 that He, the Holy Spirit of truth, will guide us. He'll counsel us. He'll comfort us. He'll bring hope. And I could go on and on telling you stories of how the Holy Spirit has met me in those places where I'm like, God, it doesn't look like you're working. And He'll show up and remind me, I am working. You keep being that ambassador that I've called you to be. Stay situated in my redemption. Redemptive mothering is about way more than making sure that God is a part of your kids' lives. Redemptive mothering is a 24-7 commitment of seeing your kids through God's eyes, through the eyes of truth, and accepting his assignment to partner with him to redeem and bring them forth into the destiny that he has for them. It's a visioning with God 
to something way greater than you could ever accomplish on your own. It still will be painful. We live in a painful world. But when we situate ourselves in a place of redemption as mothers, the pain has purpose. It has eternal purpose. See, there's a nurturing thing inside of us that God gave us as moms. We want to see our kids thrive. But if we will situate ourselves in redemption and the good news, if we will give him our role as mother, if we will give him our, our kids, if we'll give him our nurturing heart, the pain that was spoken of in Genesis 3 can be turned into a promise, a promise of joy, lasting joy. We might have to wait a while to see it, but our God is faithful. And his nurturing heart, we have to know, his nurturing heart is a million times bigger than ours. That's what that verse on that video said to me. Like a mama bear robbed of her cubs, he wants to love on his kids. So if I want to do that, it's because I've been made in his image. How much more does he want to see them blessed and experiencing his goodness? I want to ask all the moms that are in the room tonight to stand and as we close out, I, I just want to pray over you. You know, some of us have been in this redemptive mothering journey for a while already. Maybe you've never thought of it like that, but you're like, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm doing. I hope tonight that the Holy Spirit has encouraged you to keep on with that. But for some of us as moms, maybe this is the first time we've ever thought of it like that. Like for me, that day after the wrestling match, when God broke into my world and, and started speaking to me about it. And so maybe God wants to really begin some new things in your mothering journey. I just want to pray for all of us because he's the one who works this out. Not me. I'm just like you. I'm standing right there with you as a mom in need of God. I don't have the answers. I tried for a long time. I don't have them. But he does he is faithful so if I can just pray over you oh Lord Jesus thank you for your good news God thank you for your good news that speaks to us as moms God so often there are things that that happen in the stories of our family Lord that we don't understand that we can't make sense of in our humanity God but we can look to you as the answer for all of it. And you have answers, Lord. You take us all the way back to the very beginning of time. And you show us how our story connects to the, to the first story. But how you've been speaking good news even since the very beginning, God. Lord, I want to pray for every mom tonight in this place, Lord. That you will infuse us with, with a new pathway to walk on. Maybe it's just a refreshment of one we've already been walking on, or maybe it's brand new for some. God, but I just pray that by the power of your spirit, you would just seal this word in our hearts and give us a, a fresh step, Lord, into this mothering journey. God, I pray that there will be clarity in our eyes to see the vision of goodness you have for our kids, to see you cut through all the confusion of maybe some of the wreckage that we're watching and be able to see you've got a good plan to situate ourselves, Lord, in a place of redemption so that we can be your ambassadors tonight, God. I just thank you, Lord, that you're a good, good father to me as your child and to my children, God. I thank you that you are that for every mother in this room, and I pray that you will infuse us with hope, God, that your grace and your mercy, your good news will be our best Mother's Day present ever for ourselves and for our children. God, you're so, so good. And we bless your name tonight, Lord. We say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for being our good, good Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.